electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort. Deirdre is off today. Fed Chair Powell gets tapped for a second term. What that means for big tech and growth names as they lead the Nasdaq higher this morning. Then we're going to break down how rates relate to a few high-flying pandemic stocks that have come down to earth just a few hours now from Zoom's results tonight. And then finally, a twist in the case against Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes. She takes the stand today, and we are live at the courthouse, John. Yeah, so let's get started with the Fed and the connection between interest rates, inflation, and the valuation of tech stocks right now. Who better than Mike Santoli to look at that for us? Hey, Mike. Hey, John, you know, this standard uh, idea that higher yields, especially higher real yields, are kind of punishing to tech stocks, it's really being tested right now because right now nothing as a group is holding back tech. In fact, take a look over the last two years at the S&P tech sector against the 10-year Treasury yield. So the conventional wisdom is somewhat that these are moving in opposite directions, that they're kind of inversely correlated. Well, that's not really true. Uh, in fact, if you talk about the lows right here uh, towards zero in the yield, now we're up to 1.6. Obviously, it's coincided with very strong results in tech. Now, I do get that sometimes you have better results in the secular growth stocks when you do have yields that are tame or inflation-adjusted yields that are negative. But it seems to me that it hasn't yet really manifested itself in any ongoing way. There is an academic argument that these long-term cash flows represented by big tech stocks somehow get discounted back at a higher rate if, in fact, you have yields that are elevated. I think we're not in a zone right now, though, where that reckoning will take place because we still are talking about 1.6% on the 10-year, half a percent on the two-year. So obviously, the Fed can kill bull markets if it goes too far. The Fed can certainly mitigate the strength in all kinds of stocks, especially growth stocks. But so far, I don't think you've necessarily seen that hypersensitivity of tech stocks to higher yields, except in the spring when we did see the very, very high velocity move higher in yields, and it coincided with tech. Uh, and secular growth taking a hit, guys. Uh, great overall perspective, Mike. Now, if I might want to go a little bit more surgical into maybe some exceptions to the overall trend, um, growth stocks in particular, C3AI, Chegg, Peloton, Zillow, yep. Stitch Fix, all stocks that sort of had some kind of pandemic thesis that evolved over time and were riding how yeah. all, all of those more than 70% off of their 52-week highs as of today, I mean, what what does the interest rate picture signal for either those particular stocks or stocks like those that where sentiment seems to have completely turned around? You know, it's fascinating, John. You can actually even widen that out. You could look at some of the upstart fintech names. You could look at sports betting. You could look at Roku. So to me, the common denominator there is massive potential addressable market. The companies are relatively early in trying to tap into it. They were given massive valuation premiums a year ago, 10 months ago, 
uh, because they were given credit for actually getting there pretty quickly. And, you know, here we are 10 months or a year later, and they're doing well, but not as well as the valuations expected. I don't necessarily see a macro or an interest rate driver of those things specifically, unless it's kind of the psychological, hey, we're going to buy the most speculative stuff because rates are at zero. I know that that's a standard idea. But, you know, back in the 99 tech bubble, when I remember things being even crazier than we saw in January and February in speculative tech, you know, yields were 5 and 6%. Yeah. So you didn't actually have that reason. Although, Mike, I'm thinking what uh, David Costin said last night out of Goldman. Bond yields will rise in 22. And fast-growing stocks valued entirely on long-term growth expectations are vulnerable. Sure. I mean, it kind of that view's kind of been institutionalized, hasn't it? It absolutely has. I, I mean, I get it. Obviously, that's the way the math works if you're trying to value these things. But, but you know, you're working against stocks growing 15 or 20 percent in earnings. Uh, what is the extra discount of a somewhat higher yield mean for them? Uh, to me, it's a matter of. Uh, it's where the incremental dollar goes. So if yields are going up and it's because the economy is reaccelerating or the Fed's, you know, finding the need to respond to a faster economy, well, that means the marginal dollar probably goes to more cyclical stocks and maybe it's going to be the banks and not software. But to, that's not solely explainable by where yields go. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We're going to find out next year whether uh, it's a rising tide uh, that lifts many boats. Yeah. Uh, Mike, great stuff. Uh, Mike Santoli. For more on this, let's bring in CNBC contributor Gunjan Banerjee of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, talk about Powell and rates and how it all relates to tech. It's great to have you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. First, I, I wonder if you can just sort of characterize how you think the, the renomination is being absorbed. I mean, it seems like investors like it so far, right? It, we're seeing markets rally today. And um, I think this goes back to how resilient this market has been in recent weeks and even months. Um, there was a view out there that there was some kind of Brainerd put, uh, that, that she'd be a higher hurdle uh, politically. I wonder what you think that means and, and wh whether or not the vice chair thing is also worth considering vis-a-vis -vis the markets. Yeah, I mean, I, I had heard a little bit about that. But look, I think we're seeing, you know, the tech sector continue to rally over the past month. The S&P 500 has hit more than 60 fresh highs, that the most since 1995. So, so far, I think markets really like this decision. And, and it's kind of what a lot of people expected. Gunjan, what do you make overall of what seems to me to be some mixed valuation signals coming out of the market? Over the last couple of weeks, we've had a number of analysts say that they were, um, you know, adjusting their expectations, their ratings on stock just because they had risen so high. So you got that. Then I just mentioned a bunch of stocks, tech-related, but in different areas. C3 AI, Chegg, Peloton, Zillow, Stitch Fix, all down more than 70% off their 52-week highs. And yet... Uh, you know, NVIDIA, where growth has been strong, continues to soar. Uh, it must be well over an $800 billion market cap right now. What, what's happening from your perspective? How much of this is driven by options and speculation or interest rates or what? It's so striking to me. I think there's a really, really big disconnect out there where, you know, investors I speak to continue to cite inflation as a huge risk, right? That's been one of the biggest wild cards out there. But at the same time, you're seeing these these growth stocks, tech stocks keep rallying. And there has been this divergence where you're seeing the Teslas of the world keep rallying. NVIDIA, advanced micro devices, Qualcomm are sitting on double digit gains over the past month. And as I reported recently for The Wall Street Journal, many people are expecting that to continue. 
So I think that shows you that despite these risks of higher yields and higher inflation that are out there, a lot of people are sanguine about the path for the growth sector and for the tech sector. Are you hearing about seeing areas in the market that just haven't had the same kinds of extreme reactions and where investors might therefore look for uh, either less volatility or maybe more behavior according to fundamentals from here? You know, I think this whole market has been so momentum driven. That's been a key theme throughout the year where when something takes off, it just really, really takes off. So it certainly seems like fundamentals have become a little bit less important than momentum trading this year. Finally, a big journal piece on supply chain, sort of echoing what we've heard uh, from others in the auto space and the chip space, with the caveat that maybe it's labor uh, inflation that remains a little more persistent through the course of 2022. Uh, But I wonder if you can sort of put it into some framework. How good of news is this? Sure. I mean, it does seem like some of these bottlenecks around the globe are starting to ease, right? And I think kind of putting that aside, even if they don't, what we've seen so far is that corporations have been able to pass down these higher prices to their consumers, whether it's Walmart or Home Depot. So investors seem to be looking past that for the time being. Yeah, uh, certainly in the retail front, it's been uh, something that is less and less of a concern. Gunjan, thanks so much. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Let's dive now into a specific stock, Goldman Sachs, naming Amazon a top pick Heading into the holiday season and 2022, they see Amazon well positioned to handle supply chain issues, and they believe Amazon's prior investments are going to cement the company's e-commerce dominance. Joining us now, the analyst behind that call, Goldman Sachs Managing Director Eric Sheridan. Eric, uh, welcome. Happy Monday. So you you like Amazon. You also like Walmart. Uh, How much of this has to do with size and uh, the investment that, that you think is going to pay off particularly for them? Thanks for having me on, John. And yes, we are bullish on Amazon for the end of 21 into 22. Uh, my colleague on the consumer side covers Walmart, but I do think they both have similar themes in mind that we come back to on Amazon. Number one, scale, the ability to uh, absorb uh, these costs from an inflationary standpoint, the ability to deal with the shipping elements of the holiday period and into next year. I agree with one of the points you made in one of the earlier segments about labor inflation persisting and being more permanent than transient and you need scale to be able to absorb that. But more importantly, these are the companies that have actually built inventory over the last six months to not find themselves on the wrong side of the demand curve. Consumer demand, from all the data we look at, looks very strong going into and out of the holiday period. So having inventory, being able to absorb the cost, communicating it clearly like Amazon did on their last earnings call, and then having the street with numbers that are set up where they can actually beat those numbers going forward. We think after a year, basically, of underperformance makes for a good setup on the stock. And what about the cloud data and AI side of that stock? It's been so much of what's driven the valuation. And we've got AWS reInvent coming up next week where we expect news out of Amazon and maybe some others on that front. How important is that to this call? Yeah, it's amazing. For us, it's very important. I mean, they're the number one player in cloud computing. Cloud computing remains one of the key secular growth themes for all of tech over the next five to 10 years, not even just the past 
five to 10 years, when you look at where we are on the penetration curve, they just re-accelerated 200 basis points. It grew faster than we expected this past quarter. And the backlog they continue to build of revenue shows that they're going to have strong growth for years ahead uh, behind that secular growth theme. Um, as a result of it, we think because the two pieces are together, sometimes you get sort of this consolidated multiple being applied to Amazon, uh, where we actually look uh, as well as a bit of a, some of the parts. AWS would likely be one of the cheapest software stocks uh, if you looked at our some of the parts and, and paid that sort of a high single digit revenue multiple for it. And by the way, it has 30% EBIT margins in the last quarter as well. Hey, Eric, um, I know this is probably overstepping, but if inventory, in fact, is safe for holiday and we graduate into 2022 and there's still a lot of inventory, what is the risk of things getting more promotional uh, in the first quarter, first couple quarters of next year? Yeah, it, it's a great question, Carl, and it is a real possibility. If, if inventory was built too much and, and we hit sort of peak fear about um, the logistics bottlenecks in, in late October or, or mid-October, um, there's a possibility of that. There are also some people that, that study the logistics chain that also call out elements of Chinese New Year in Q1 that could lead to another bottleneck. So I don't think we know the answer to that yet. Could it be per more promotional? Definitely. Um, it's a, certainly a possibility, but I, I think against uh, the comps we see in Amazon's model, we have some conservatism baked into the first half of next year. Right. Uh, meanwhile, there's all these sort of, there's this universe of ancillary sort of policy risks, I guess, regarding Amazon. There's the whole Jedi controversy. Today, it's a story about Bezos giving money to the Obama Foundation. I guess, how would you grade them in handling sort of these extraneous uh, DC-centric uh, policy decisions and responses? Yeah, look, they seem pretty responsive to all the things that, that come onto their radar screen. You know, um, across my coverage universe, there's elements of data and privacy or elements of seller information. And, and we think most of the companies I cover would love to have national solutions to these problems. Sometimes states, uh, individual states try to do sort of state by state solutions. That's particularly difficult to, to implement. Um, and the federal government hasn't really tackled as many of these issues on a nationwide scale yet. Uh, but it seems like Amazon is navigating through that, and, and we don't see any particular headwinds. The one area in our own research we've called out is that the regulatory scrutiny on big tech, while it hasn't impacted P&Ls, has led to a little bit of a freeze in M&A, and that's causing some hmm. of these companies to do more organic growth than inorganic growth via M&A. We would point you to something like Amazon trying to buy MGM, the movie studio, and that's receiving a lot of scrutiny at the FTC. That we don't see any antitrust issues with that from a distance, uh, but it is interesting that that gets a lot of scrutiny as an output of this higher level of scrutiny for big tech. Yeah, Eric, I don't want to ask you specifically about Zoom necessarily. We'll be talking about Zoom. We'll be talking about Roku and these, these stocks that benefited from a lot of momentum in the past, perhaps, now getting punished. I know that there are some that fit that profile in your portfolio. How are you looking at the metrics that are most important to you with that kind of a stock and perhaps uh, give you more of a signal than the, the noise uh, in the market just around what the stock itself is doing? Yeah, I think what we try to root ourselves around is how much of end demand in these types of stocks was pulled forward by the pandemic. Amazon, Netflix, Chewy, Peloton, stocks we cover. And then we look at how the stocks have been traded, right? 
Amazon did nothing from July of 2020 until really about the last week or two, to be perfectly honest, where Peloton, you know, had gone up to 150 and is now corrected back to a much lower level as the year's gone on. So I think what you have to overlay on is how much of the end demand was pulled forward versus creating a new normal, how much of the consumer behavior or enterprise behavior in the example of, of, of stocks that are levered to that are permanent versus transient, and how much of that's already priced into stocks from current levels, as opposed to just taking a step back and saying whatever won in the pandemic is going to win forever. Uh, even in travel, we make a pretty strong argument for normalization as we get into 22. But that's normalization of demand, supply, and marketing intensity. So there's a lot of forms of normalization that have to work through a lot of these business models as we go into 22 and beyond. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because we've talked for so long about the consumer overspending on goods, underspending on services as COVID's been a, a structural headwind. But if that fades, does that make you want to lean directionally into more of those travel related names versus e-commerce or hard goods like a Peloton? Well, I think some of that's already priced in. Travel stocks have had a nice rally off the bottom um, in the last six months. We still like Expedia uh, as one of the online travel plays that we have a buy rating on, uh, a mix of not only domestic travel, but also the opening up of cross-border travel, which we actually think is, has been one of the big laggards if you look at travel trends where you know you haven't made that big trip to Italy or big trip to Asia in the last 18 months, and you certainly could see some shifts. What gives us some confidence in Amazon is how much of what we would call staple spending or elements of week-to-week type behavior by the consumer has shifted online from offline. And so there's been an element of discretionary moving into almost that staples element and some of the products they have like subscribe and save. We think that will maintain momentum in e-commerce dollar revenue growth. Watching those demand signals, we get it. Thank you, Eric Sheridan from Goldman. Uber now getting smoked this morning as Wells gets bullish on Microsoft. Both of those stories are next. Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Let's get a gut check on Uber, the company announcing its first foray into cannabis. Customers in Canada will be able to order marijuana products from the retailer Tokyo Smoke through Uber Eats. We should note the service is only for pickup, so you order and pick it up yourself. No delivery option just yet. Back in April, CEO Derek Hoshishai told us he would start looking at cannabis delivery here in the States once federal regulations allow it. Shares right now in Uber are down almost 4%, trading once again below that IPO price of uh, 45, Carl, I'm sure a lot of people would like to get it higher. 
and maybe this is a step in that direction. <laughs> you couldn't resist. I knew it. I, no, you I could couldn't. not no. resist. No, I remember we talked about this with uh, Dara. I think it was when he first announced Drizzly, uh, which just, just seemed like a natural extension. But clearly, uh, overall, the, the movement has a lot more headway uh, in Canada than it does right now in the United States, at least on a federal level, John. Yeah, and I think it's interesting if you look at Uber Eats, if you look at DoorDash, the way these marketplaces are working, it's not just about delivery. It's also about marketing and discovery of different services that people can get. Here, it's just like you know a menu. You put in your order, you go and you pick it up. But if these players like Uber can surface this option to the right kind of consumer that's already on the platform, maybe they can generate some real value, Carl. Yep, uh, we'll find out. Uh, meanwhile, uh, turn to Microsoft this morning as well. Wells Fargo initiates an overweight $400 target as the company hits new intraday highs earlier this morning. The bank says uh, that despite record valuations, Microsoft has room to grow thanks to IT spend and a booming operating margin, which has gone, as you know, from 30 to 42 over the past five years. Most important piece, in their view, is the cloud business, arguing that Azure could overtake AWS by 2028. We did watch that Azure metric in the last print, John, but I wonder what kind of contest you think that is. You know, more and more, I think talking about cloud overall as a, you know, this versus that, whether you're talking about AWS versus Microsoft, throw Google Cloud in there, whatever, doesn't make a ton of sense, right? You got to think about LinkedIn and the momentum particularly there. I think you got to look at Office 365. They got this price increase that's coming in March, but Satya Nadella here on Tech Check uh, not too long ago arguing that the, the software itself is deflationary, so even though they might be charging more for it, the customers are going to see value. You look through at what they're doing in gaming, in the cloud there. That too is software. There those, there's hardware connected to it. And then I think you got to think about the profitability within those software models, Carl. So uh, I, I think, yes, AWS and Azure, it's interesting to look at the growth rates there, but we also got to look at industries how they're gaining there. We'll be talking to uh, AWS leadership next week about exactly that and just how much advantage they can gain in these various uh, areas of strength, Carl. Yeah, no, AWS, it's like a star tight end. I mean, he's a great player, and when they catch the ball, it's exciting, but there's a whole other uh, a number of offensive players they can utilize. That's what's pretty interesting right now. Indeed, indeed. Now, uh, moving off of Uber wanting to get higher to Roku estimates, are they too high? We will discuss next. Plus, NVIDIA headed higher yet again today, hitting yet another all-time high. Shares up a whopping 60% in just three months. Looking at it there, up 2.5% today, above 338. Tech Check, we'll be right back. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford this morning. Stocks are higher. In fact, Dow 
once again getting close to the session high, up 300. Uh, S&P 4730s an all-time high. Apple, Adobe, and others all-time high. Tesla, one of the key stocks leading the charge over at the Nasdaq, which has an all-time high of its own. Let's get a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. And here's what's happening at this hour: existing home sales. Growing less than a percent in October, that's despite strong demand and rising prices. Inventories of homes for sale are down 12 percent over the last year. You can go to CNBC.com to see how investors are squeezing first-time buyers out of the market. Wheat futures are rising to a nine-year high on global supply concerns. Soybean and corn prices are moving higher as buyers seek cheaper alternatives. Cloud-based communications company Vonage seeing its shares jump 25 percent. Ericsson is seeking to buy Vonage at a deal worth $6.2 billion. And Constellation Brands is reportedly discussing a merger with Monster Beverages. The deal would create a drinks giant that would offer everything from spirits, wine and beer to energy drinks. The two companies have a combined market cap of nearly $100 billion. Carl, lots of uppers and downers in that in that mix. Just don't do it all at the same time. You should be good. I'll send it back at you. Drink responsibly. Thank uh-huh. you, Rahel. Uh, We focused so much on EVs recently, we want to highlight a piece of news from GM today. Company's announcing it's getting into all-electric boating, buying a 25% stake in Pure Watercraft, an EV boating company. Shares of GM, of course, up more than 50% this year. A lot of that's been attributed to the company's renewed focus and investment in EVs, as stocks like Tesla and Rivian capture some of the market imagination in that space. GM currently up about 3%, John, as we see some of these uh, use cases potentially multiply. Yes, uh, and lots of question around how much government uh, investment will be will be powering that, particularly out of infrastructure. Uh, speaking of government, President Biden nominating Jerome Powell to a second term as chairman of the Federal Reserve. Elon Moyes got more of the details on that for us. Elon. John, the White House is opting for continuity and stability at the central bank. We'll get to hear directly from Jay Powell, as well as Lael Brainer, the nominee for vice chair, at a press conference at the White House later on this afternoon. President Biden did say in a statement, quote, I have full confidence after their trial by fire over the last 20 months that Chair Powell and Dr. Brainerd will provide the strong leadership our country needs. Now, both nominees do have to be confirmed by the Senate, and there are at least three Democrats who have come out against Powell. Senators Jeff Merkley and Sheldon Whitehouse are worried that he's not aggressive enough on climate change. And Senator Elizabeth Warren has long opposed him. In fact, she voted against him back in 2018 when he was nominated the first time. Still, I am told that the president discussed this decision with Senator Warren, that they met recently at the White House, and she got a chance to provide her input. The administration has also been working closely with the head of the Senate Banking Committee, Sherrod Brown, who today signals support for both Powell and for Brainerd. Republicans, they also appear to be on board. Senator Mitt Romney tweeted that he will vote to confirm Powell. He wrote, I believe he's a person of capability and integrity. While I disagree with some Fed policies, Powell's recent comments give me hope that the Fed is ready to address the rising inflation that we're experiencing. So, guys, at this stage, it does look like both nominees should have enough votes to easily get confirmed. Back over to you. Wow. Something getting done easily in Washington. Uh, I will wait with bated (laughs) breath. Elon, thanks. Meantime, we've talked about how the Fed and rates have affected the valuations of stocks and growth stocks in particular. One of the big movers uh, reports earnings in just a few hours. That is Zoom. That stock has had a bit of a rough 2021, down 30 percent year to date. 
and the street is anxious. City noting that sentiment is, quote, quite negative ahead of earnings, thanks in part to Zoom fatigue. And concerns over the declining use of that core product in, as schools and businesses reopen, Carl. Morgan Stanley cut its price target on Zoom as well. It's going to be the first time we've heard from the company since the collapse of that 5.9 acquisition as investors try to figure out where Zoom's next leg of growth will come from. And Carl, I'm thinking not just growth, but also overall stability. What 5.9 seemed to represent to me, and we talked about this here on Tech Check, was a, a return to that core of enterprise users as opposed to relying on the consumer and maybe smaller business user, user whose uh, usage might be more spotty. And um, I, I think they still have some filling out of that overall strategy to do now that 5.9 specifically isn't going to be a part of it. Yep. Uh, Kramer, of course, has long said that we uh, need to know what Zoom 2.0 is going to look like. And then, John, you know, come January, February, uh, we're going to get another stair step, we think, we hope, in return to office and that's going to be interesting to see what the knock-on effect is going to be on, say, uh, usage and hours used uh, for Zoom. But we'll see what happens uh, tonight. Meantime, turning to another pandemic winner losing its shine, streaming hardware player Roku facing some critics. Shares now 50% off the highs as Moffitt takes the company down to sell and calls the street's overall long-term estimates, quote, just too damn high. With us this morning, the analyst behind the note, Moffitt Nathanson, founding partner Michael Nathanson. Michael, great to have you back. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to see you. Uh, your, your note is, is remarkable in, in that it sort of paints a picture of the way in which you've become disenchanted with this name in a fairly short period of time, right? Yeah. You know, Carl, the story was that the disclosure in the company is not great. And we thought there was a, a bigger driver of the business being advertising. It turns out that it's really the streaming war competition that was fueling more growth than we thought. And that was something that we dug into in reading the Qs and the K and trying to figure out how much growth is coming from streaming wars, which we think are cooling versus advertising. So, and then last week, we get the note from them that they're going to create some original content, which I think historically they had said they would, they would not get into uh, entering the hit-making business, so to speak. Is that a signal that they, are, uh, they, that they are grasping or is there something else going on? No, that's exactly right. That was part of the thesis, right, that they – they need to compete for share of time with all these other companies and using rerun old content, given the investment everyone else is making, is a tough strategy to draw eyeballs in. So we thought they have to invest in new content, which is a completely different business. It's capital intensive, maybe lower margin. So when we heard that news, that was after we downgraded it, it was a confirmation that, you know, our view of, you know, it's a different business going forward is being confirmed. Michael, uh, on the other hand, uh, I've often thought that, yeah. uh, that Roku's business gets underestimated by investors just in terms of how many uh, consumers use them as their gateway into the streaming experience. Uh, and also this idea that they've got the one operating system that's purpose-built for TV and for streaming. So that allows them to be more nimble than some competitors. Might that work against your thesis here? Well, John, I agree with that thesis to here. I have Roku sets. The interface is great. Uh, people who don't like connected TVs go to Roku. It works better. But we think we're at a, a point of change, right? Amazon's making their own TVs. Android and Google have now woken up to this opportunity. We think they'll get more competitive. Samsung, Vizio, 
will make you know their own make their own operating systems. So Roku is a great innovator. Their operating system really works for people. But I think their competitors have picked up on their success and will start mimicking that success, right? So I think you're right. But we think going forward, their share of players and their share of operating system will decline as others get into that space. So which is more of an eyebrow raiser for you, uh, Netflix going into video games or Roku going into original content? That's a good question. Um, they, I would say, <laughs> to, to back away, I'd say they both, <laughs> they both rep- not to answer the question, they both represent something which is the businesses that they're in are changing, right? So, you know, for us, Netflix, it's really a side a side bet that games will help them drive engagement. But I think of the two, Roku getting into content is a bigger stretch, right? That's a riskier bet. That's, to me, a bigger sign of perhaps changes that they're seeing. And, you know, we thought the market would maybe react positively when that report came out because it addresses a fear of, you know, Roku losing share. But I think people are now, you know, grappling with the fact that it's going to be more capital intensive. So they're battling on operating systems with the people we talked about. They're battling on viewership with companies we talked about. You know, it, it's a competitive space, whereas Netflix has such an advantage that they're looking to add more viewing time from a big advantage lead, whereas Roku is, you know, battling out with some pretty big companies for a share of time and share of player sales. Yeah, that chart right there is, is pretty interesting, the, the Ro- Roku versus Netflix. While I have you, I'd love to get a question in on Disney as it tries to find its legs coming out of that report. Uh, today, Wells trims their target. Uh, as they said, the slowing content machine was the culprit for that last quarter. Uh, where are we right now? And are we really going to start pitting Disney against Netflix on the number of titles? No, Carl, you know, it's interesting because a couple of weeks ago, I remember talking with you guys, and our view was that Disney Plus has done a great job out of the gate, but its content is just too narrow, right? They have focused on their strength of, you know, Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, but they need to broaden out to reach older homes that are not maybe, you know, either homes with kids or, or super fans. Um, Netflix has built a completely different business, right? They're just the volume business, tons of new content. And I think Disney can't chase Netflix down that path. They need to expand expand the content. And, you know, that calls into question where is who fit, you know, vis-a-vis Disney Plus. So, you know, that that earnings call, you know, earnings release and the conference call kind of, in my view, synthesize the challenge that Disney has. You know, they need to broaden out and it's going to take some time. It's going to be expensive as well. Uh, yeah, certainly that's what investors are getting their arms around uh, as we're back down again today. Uh, great, great note on Roku, Michael, uh, and good okay. to get your take on the space. Good. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Meantime, take an eye uh, and keep an eye on Adobe today. Atlantic takes the name to buy as they get bullish on the company's growth prospects coming off of an intraday high today. First, though, Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes taking the stand. We will take you live outside the courtroom in a moment when Tech Check is back in two. Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes taking the stand and that's a move that surprised many. Scott Cohn is live on the scene with the latest. Morning, Scott. Good morning, Carl. She'll be back on the stand about 20 minutes from now. Uh, This is, of course, the founder of Theranos who raised some $900 million in capital for that company. Those same persuasive skills will be back on display 
in the courtroom today as she answers what uh, we expect will be very friendly questioning from her attorney, Kevin Downey. Elizabeth Holmes not answering questions from us when she arrived at court just a few moments ago. Ms. Holmes, how do, what do you hope the jury's going to learn about you this week? You looking forward to this? Holmes was on the stand first for about an hour on Friday, about enough time to get comfortable for the jury to see her without a mask for the first time in 11 weeks. Often smiling, she talked about her early successes in starting up Theranos and trying to counter a picture that the prosecution uh, painted over the last 11 weeks of someone who was carrying out a massive fraud. Uh, she is expected to go through this direct examination probably uh, today and tomorrow with the idea that the jury will be left with a positive impression of her over the long holiday weekend, but then it's the prosecution's turn with a cross-examination that is likely to be very, very tough. And we do have a sense of how she performs under those types of circumstances, thanks to hours of deposition video obtained exclusively by CNBC. Listen to her in 2017 being questioned by an SEC attorney about the claims Theranos was making to investors in 2013 and 2014 uh, that they had this technology that could perform tests on just a few drops of blood and was ready for patient testing. I don't know that we said it in those words, um, but generally that was what we were working to do with Minilab going into the FDA in that time frame. How hot a ticket is her testimony? Well, they started lining up about 4 o'clock this morning, Pacific time, so about four and a half hours ago. They are still in line. We have our ticket. We'll be in court all day, and we'll let you know how it goes. Guys? Scott, thanks. It's going to be a tough job for the prosecution. She's known to be, of course, charismatic and convincing. It's part of what got us here. Scott Cohn covering that for us. Thank you. Investors in Paytm perhaps counting the cost this morning. The Indian fintech company backed by SoftBank, Warren Buffett and more plunging nearly 40% in two days after going public last week in India's biggest IPO ever. Investors have lost on paper $900 million in just 48 hours by some estimates. Stay with us. Time for a gut check on semiconductor manufacturer Global Foundries. Getting a boost after a host of initiations at buy today. Shares are up 40% since its debut in late October. It's just a couple weeks ago. Analysts are forecasting on average more than 20% upside for that stock as it continues to benefit from the chip shortage and partnerships with companies like Ford. Carl? Uh, meantime, John, keep an eye on Teladoc today. Uh, once a pandemic darling, shares down 15% this month as BTIG takes the stock down to neutral on some slowing growth. Plus, what is next for Activision Blizzard? Rumors that CEO Bobby Kotick could be on his way out. Journal piece about what, would it, what it would take to have him leave. We'll discuss that. Don't go away. Pressure mounting on Activision Blizzard. The Wall Street Journal reporting today that CEO Bobby Kotick told colleagues he would consider leaving the company if he can't quickly fix cultural problems. Uh, meanwhile, outside groups like Girls Who Code canceling their partnerships with the company as Wall Street firms downgrade the stock. Joining us now to weigh in, corporate governance expert and value edge advisors vice chair Nell Minow. Nell, great to have you. Uh, Bobby Kotick has run this company since 1991, kind of rescued it from scrap, similar to a Steve Jobs Pixar situation. A lot of people would argue he's a um, colorful guy, not known to convention. This company is built in his image and these cultural problems. 
perhaps part and parcel of that. What, what do you make of this argument for him that he can quickly fix it? Yeah, it just that's an incredibly stupid thing to say. It's a very big, complicated problem. I'm delighted. I have to say one nice thing. I'm delighted that they got rid of the binding arbitration clauses. I hope everybody else follows suit on that. But to suggest that anything like this could be quickly fixed is just another bonehead response, just like his previous boneheaded responses, where he didn't pass on information to the board of directors. He didn't act on the complaints that he received. I'm hearing no specifics about how that's going to work. Now, the board says maybe they'll put together some kind of special committee. But let me just tell you something. Yeah, he's made a lot of money for the company over the years, but his customers are mad at him. And I'm talking about his big customers, the people who make the systems that his games play on, and his shareholders are mad at him. The only people who are not mad at him apparently are his board of directors, which issued a statement supporting him that was very vague. So very disappointing so far. Yeah, a number of employees seem to be upset as well. But what is the path here when you do have an effective founder. He's not technically the founder, but he's effectively the founder. You've got a board that seems to have a lot of loyalty to him, and he doesn't appear to be ready to go. How is this going to play out? Well, the board of directors must be consulting their own lawyers right now because uh, they uh, somebody's going to have to remind them about their duty as fiduciaries. This is an extremely weak board. Uh, insiders, a lot of connections, a lot of people have been on the board for too long. But I think once they sit down with their lawyers, they'll remember that their duty is to the shareholders and they need to do better. So I think he's on his way out. Now, I wonder what you think is different about this particular instance or controversy. Is it about the board composition? I mean, relative to other episodes that are sort of in this camp that we've seen in the past few years. Well, I think what is different about this one is that we've seen instances where the CEOs themselves have been involved in misconduct. In his case, it's definitely his managerial judgment and competence that's, uh, that's uh, at issue. And uh, that's something that is, uh, to me, an even clearer case. Now, would it satisfy, you think, uh, those who are concerned about um, Bobby Kotick's running the company, if he steps back to chairman and puts a CEO in place, does he have to completely leave the company or could he step back? I think he has to completely leave the company. You know very well that switching around the nameplates between chairman and CEO has often been meaningless. I'm referring to Michael Dell, who went to one and then went to the other. Come on, it doesn't mean anything. What we need is a very strong statement from this company, and I'm talking about the board of directors, about the specific steps they're taking going forward, and I think his departure is one of them. Uh, therefore, what should investors do here the longer this drives out. I, I know you're not an analyst here, but you've seen multiple cases like this where there's a governance issue that appears to be affecting the stock. Uh, what, what should people consider as this continues to play out? Well, of course, this is the time of year when shareholders start uh, looking at their shareholder proposals. We'll be coming up just in a few months on voting on proxies. I think that this board is looking at a strong negative vote if they don't change their, uh, their perspective and they don't start taking action. All right. Strong take. Uh, from an expert. Nell, thank you. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, as we said earlier, Zoom reports tonight after the bell. Uh, catch a breakdown of those numbers here tomorrow on Tech Check. And of course, don't forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast. You can listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. In the meantime, Tech Check is back in just a moment. One more thing before we go on the power of Adele. 
On the heels of the singer's highly anticipated 30 album, the singer urging Spotify to remove its shuffle feature from all artist albums, and they listened. Uh, the shuffle button is no longer the default option for album listening, but rather listeners will hear the tracks in their listed order. Quote, this was the only request I ever had in our changing industry, Adele wrote in a tweet on Sunday. Seems that Spotify was more than happy to oblige, replying anything for you to the singer's tweet. That would be a nice thing, John, if the, somehow the album made a bit of a return. Yes, dude, you're getting Adele in the order <laughs> she intended. Uh, now, I, I think they overused the shuffle button, Carl. Like on my playlist, I build them in an order. I want to listen to them. In that, but you, you press the wrong thing and suddenly you're all over the place. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, and one last thing to borrow from Apple's parlance, hedge fund billionaire Ken Griffin beat a group of crypto crowdfunders for a rare copy of the U.S. Constitution late Friday. The group, known as Constitution DAO, raised over $40 million from 17,000 participants to purchase the copy and make it widely accessible to the public. But Griffin spoiled their plans, secured the copy for $43.2 million at the Sotheby's auction, saying he plans to lend the copy to the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Arkansas. Carl, if that's not a sign of the times, I don't know what is. I mean, here comes a hedge fund guy uh, in with a bunch of money, spoiling the crowdfunded fund. Out, outwitting the crowd. Yep. A lot of national treasure jokes out there on Twitter the last uh, few days, John. Um, I, I, we're going to keep note, John, here of the sell-off in the NASDAQ. We're down almost, uh, well, eight-tenths of a percent, but we're getting some uh, midday weakness here uh, in tech names as uh, some money does roll into uh, the Dow, although it also is off the high. I was reminded, John, of some of the names we're going to get this week. Pretty good diet of retail. Uh, but Dell, you mentioned Dell, is going to be in there along with Autodesk and some others. And as we mentioned earlier, we are getting Zoom. Zoom today. That's been such an important story of this pandemic overall. And I, I think a question on what's going to drive growth going forward and what their narrative, Carl, is going to be. Yep. Uh, meantime, of course, we're watching for continued market reaction to the news about the Powell renomination. And we look forward to the president tomorrow, uh, we believe, talking about uh, rising prices. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.